This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now, on a day like this, and good afternoon, good morning, depending on where you're listening slash watching, welcome to the Merrick Show. On a day like this, I should probably talk about Jack Campbell, and we'll find out in a couple of hours if he's been claimed by anybody. Placed on waivers yesterday, shortly after the show went off the air, 2 o'clock Eastern. And yes, it would be delicious if San Jose claimed Jack Campbell and started him Thursday against the Edmonton Oilers. But I digress. I should maybe talk about that. I should maybe talk about the San Jose Sharks winning their first game of the season. Uh, That was wonderful for San Jose uh, last night, beating the Philadelphia Flyers. We will talk about that because there's an issue with Morgan Frost. Should probably talk about Jonathan Huberto and his third period benching last night. Should probably talk about a Tristan Jari uh, injury. Should probably talk about Matt Tompkins. Uh, 11 years after he's drafted, gets his first career NHL win as the Tampa Bay Lightning beat the Montreal Canadiens. Maybe I should talk about the Battle of Ontario tonight between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Ottawa Senators. Maybe I should talk about the Vegas Golden Knights facing off against the Los Angeles Kings. The one game at the beginning of this week, I circled and said, this is going to be the game of the week. But instead, I want to talk about how dumb it is the way we award assists and how really, when it comes right down to it, and this goes back to the origins of the assist in the NHL, it's about marketing. In the early days of the NHL, if you go back and you look at the game sheets, the uh, people from the NHL would write this on the actual game sheet, you know, encouraging officials to award assists to goals as much as possible. You see, in, a, in, a, in an era where... Uh, it was just the goal scorer who got noted with a point. This was a way to fluff up the numbers, as we say, to make the superstars look larger than life and make them look like incredible players when you put large numbers beside their name. The assist is the easiest way to do so. But an assist is just a piece of a chain, right? Like the chain that leads to the goal. We've always just said, like, look, these are the two people, or in some case, one person, uh, that led to that goal. They get an assist. But Anyone who's ever played hockey or even anyone who's ever glanced at hockey knows that sometimes the assist doesn't get awarded appropriately because sometimes the person that had the most effect on a goal doesn't get rewarded for it. And I want to take you back to yesterday's Columbus game, or Carolina game rather, against the Buffalo Sabres and a spectacular play by Jacob Slavin, one of my favorite players in the NHL. Yes, I am one of the captains of the Jacob Slavin fan club, Uh, not just because both of us have adopted children and I was adopted myself, but there is an affinity there for me and the Slavins, Uh, but because he's so damn smart. And unfortunately, Jacob Slavin's never going to win the Norris Trophy. He just doesn't have the points, the goals, and the assists. But he assisted on that overtime winner, last night, but just not in a way that you might think. So yesterday, uh, the Buffalo Sabres and the Carolina Hurricanes are going into overtime. Three on three. We all love it. It's exciting. And the first players that Carolina throws out there are Stahl, Slavin, and Burns. The Buffalo Sabres throw out Middlestat, Tuck, and Power. Buffalo Sabres get control, take it down to the Carolina end, and after about 45 seconds, Carolina finally gets control, and it goes to Jacob Slavin. Now, a lot of times in that situation, what defensemen will do is hold the puck so their guys can change, but it also allows the other team to change. And this is where the brilliance of Jacob Slavin comes into it. Instead of doing that, Jacob Slavin recognizes, I'm going to try to tire out the Buffalo Sabres and allow my guys to get a line change. And he starts sprinting down the ice. He gets past Owen Power, and he's sprinting down the ice. He takes it, like middle stats, thinking about changing, but, oh, I can't do that. We don't want this to lead uh, potentially to an odd man rush. I have to stay on the ice. Tuck can't make the change either. Owen Power is giving chase. The Buffalo Sabres are stuck on the ice. This is after 45 seconds, so we're getting to a minute here. And Jacob Slavin is sprinting up the ice, gets into the Carolina zone, takes it down behind behind the Buffalo Sabres nets when uh, when the Carolina Hurricanes players Burns and Stahl get a chance to change, and here come the fresh troops. So over the boards comes Sebastian Ajo. Over the boards comes Martin Natchez, who, by the way, with all due respect to Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, might be the most exciting pair in the NHL on the three-on-three. Bracket that for one second. Slavin does his job. 
His guys are fresh. Tuck is bagged. Power is bagged. Middlestat is bagged. And Aho and Natchez start to go to work. Slavin reads it. He goes off. Brady Shea comes on. Shea gets a touch. Aho gets a touch. Over to Martin Natchez. And the Carolina Hurricanes win the game. Everyone on the ice for that goal for the Carolina Hurricanes got a point. Shea got an assist. Aho got an assist. Natchez got the goal. But the person who made the whole thing possible, who really should get the assist on that one, is the brilliant, the magnificent, the sublime, the horribly underrated, one of the best defensemen in the game. If he's not the smartest player in the game, he's certainly one of them. The great Jacob Slavin made all of that possible. I know I go off on tangents about goofy things like assists, but stuff like that really means something to me. Go back and look at it. If you get a chance, watch that overtime yesterday and watch what Slavin does. Just absolutely bags the Buffalo Sabres. And then to my previous point, you know, it's it's almost automatic when you see McDavid and Dreisaitl on the three-on-three. It's beautiful. It's so much fun to watch. But if you haven't watched the Carolina Hurricanes, when they go to overtime and you watch Aho and Natchez get to it, like Natchez himself might just be the best three-on-three hockey player in the world right now. With all that ice to play with, with all that skill that Natchez has, and whenever I talk to anyone from Carolina, I was asked the same question, who has the most skill, just pure skill, on the team, and the answer is usually, well, pretty much always, Martin Natchez. To watch those guys go to work is an absolute thing of beauty. Okay, so that's my little tangent, my little soapbox uh, to kick it off. Uh, Elliot is writing today, so the bestie spot is open. So I love to go to Haley Salvian, who is in, uh, who is in Arizona right now. Uh, Mullet Arena, I believe. It is game one of the rivalry series. Want to get to that here in a couple of moments. But uh, hello, Haley. How are you today? How's things in Arizona? Hey, it's. It's good. I woke up early and went for a hike that was like very humbling. Um, so now I'm I'm gonna sit down <laughs> for a while. So yeah, I got some time if to rest. You, uh, if- <laughs> If you get a chance, go to one of my favorite places in the world. Anyone who's been to Sedona knows, like, once you go, you never want to leave. And I've always said, mm. like, if I'm going to peace out from where I live now, my first place is I might think yeah. about just going to Arizona and throwing my phone uh, against the uh, uh, against the mountain and uh, never right. be seen of again. And I'll exist exclusively as a rumor. Sedona. Yeah, Jeff Merrick um, okay, got before- lost in the desert, never to be seen again. Yeah. And he's so happy about it, too. <laughs> he's really happy about it. Uh, okay, so to some of the headlines. I'm just going on about the Carolina overtime yesterday because I'm in love with Jacob Slavin. Uh, yeah, I, I don't heard mind that. telling the world about it. But, yeah, you know, it's, I got to think about assists and I got to think about Jacob he's Slavin. He's not underrated anymore, Jeff. We're, we're in, this okay, is okay, like so how many, Barkov underrated territory here. You think so? He you was, really do? I don't. Maybe it's just because I like you know, watch the team a little bit more, uh, or I've like talked to Rod Brendamore a few times the last few years. But like, I don't know. I just don't know how people can still see Jacob Slavin as not one of the most like elite defenders in the NHL anymore. I mean, if if they're not having in that conversation, they're not paying attention. That's where I'm at on it. Maybe it's underrated uh, because of the way that uh, the Canes play, but I don't know. Uh, or how many people watch them, or how when you sure. talk about the blue line of the Carolina Hurricanes, a lot of the conversation, a lot of the oxygen, and a lot, a lot of the oxygen in the room gets sucked up by Brent Burns, but he's kind of incredible yeah. too. All right, let me uh, let me ask you about the headline coming out of last night. Normally, I like to talk about things that players do, uh, but in this case, I want to talk about something that a player didn't do because he wasn't allowed to do anything. The great benching. Last night, of Jonathan Huberto in the third period. We've all seen the visuals, you know, the head down, uh, Ryan Huska not putting him out there in the third period. A nice comeback victory by the Calgary Flames. Uh, they go down 2 nothing to the Nashville Predators and come storming back. Uh, no third period ice for Jonathan Huberto. I mean, this uh-huh. story has been well documented. He's now in the first year of the contract extension. Um, $88 million, I believe, is the compensation, 10.5 per season. We all know the decimal point here. Uh-huh. But what did you do with that last night? Like, when, when you saw that, hey, like, what's... Uh-huh. I mean, you've covered Calgary for a long time. Like, what goes through your mind when you see that? 
it's it just continues to be confounding for me, right? And like this is the 115 point player, and I remember looking at the two sides of the acquisition and saying, okay, well, the Flames have clearly decided to go in the retool, minimize the damage route, and you know, on paper, like this should be the yeah. closest approximation to Johnny Gaudreau on the left wing. Same point production. Heart Trophy conversation, best playmakers in the league. Daryl Sutter comes in, and, you know, I think this was maybe a bit of a shot at Johnny for leaving. I don't know, but he says, you know, we've never had a better passer in Calgary. Or, you know, this is the best passer in the NHL That's right a shot. now. You know, Daryl's, Daryl's doing his That's thing as, as he does. Yeah. But when was the last time we saw something like that from Jonathan Huberto? Like, this is not the you know, playmaking, high-skilled winger that people thought the Flames were getting. And the question continues to be why. Last year, it was Daryl Sutter. Mm. I mean, I wrote a big story with Katie Strang, and, and, you know, we looked at kind of what happened last year. And, you know, there was a lot of butting of heads. Like, you know, Daryl was not the right coach for Jonathan Huberto. But now Daryl's gone, and you have a new coach in Ryan Huska who, yes, benched him yesterday, but has been a lot more, um, you know, encouraging, and they want to bring a positive vibe to the rank, the rink again, make it fun, but, like, Hubert is still <laughs> yeah. performing. And so it's one of these things where I don't know why this is happening, but I think I'm getting to the point with Jonathan Huberto where it's like at some point the onus is going to be on him to start performing, and he just hasn't done that consistently. You know, we keep coming back. I mean, I, I keep coming back to, you know, th- this was more profound about, oh, geez, maybe about 10 years ago, maybe even a little bit longer. Like, there was this phenomenon in the NHL where whenever a defenseman would get traded from the Eastern Conference to the Western Conference, for at least the first few months, they would struggle just because the forecheck was that much quicker in the Western Conference and you didn't have that extra half second, maybe even full second that you would have in the Eastern Conference to make your mind up on what you wanted to do and then execute that play. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. there for you as a defenseman anymore in the West. And like every defenseman that went East to West really, really struggled. Now that kind of evened out over the years. And maybe the, the one thing that I'll flashback to and maybe because I think we're all looking for answers here is like Uh is it that much harder to play in the Western Conference is it that much harder to play in the Pacific specifically as a as a winger I don't know it was true about defensemen about 10 or 15 years ago I don't know if it's true about wingers but I'm like I'm like you I'm throwing darts I'm thinking to myself okay so you know Elliot Mm -hmm. and I were talking about this a while ago like when he was in Florida he had, you know, fast players around him. He didn't play with Barkov. He's not a burner. We know that. But he had players like Anthony DeClaire that would, you know, Anthony DeClaire would have the puck on his stick for the zone entry, and then he was so fast, and the defenseman would back up, and that would uh, open up all this ice for Huberto to work mm-hmm. with, and he doesn't have that in Calgary. And, like, I don't think this is anything that I stumbled across. Like, if if I know this, like, Craig Conroy knows this, you know, and, you know, Brad Pascal knows this. Like, everybody knows this. So, nothing stumbled upon here. But, you know, the Calgary Flames really have no other choice but to continue to double down on this player. Like, th- yeah. like this is dire. Like, they have to make this work somehow, mm-hmm. Haley. There's no, like, oh, well, it didn't work. We're going to try to move him somewhere. This is the first year of a mega contract. You can't do yeah. anything with this player other than double down and try to make this work. Mm-hmm. And and I should say too, like I I kind of I honestly like felt bad for Jonathan Huberto yesterday. Like it just he looked so dejected as you said with with the head down and and it's one of those things where when we talk about the Johnny Gaudreau factor and how like this is the closest approximation to that left winger. The difference between Gaudreau and Huberto is Johnny Gaudreau is that shifty, fast player who can drive play from point A to point B, and he can be the one that can do it for himself or he can do it for yeah. his line mates. And Huberto's not quite the same player, and that's why I don't think we've seen the same chemistry between Jonathan Huberto and Elias Lindholm. And, and how many line combinations have we seen in Calgary? You can see they're trying to make it work, um, but it, it still hasn't. So it's one of those things where, again, like I don't know exactly what's gone wrong here. I, I don't really know. If any of us just watching from the outside are going to be able to figure that out other than saying, like, the chemistry's off or um, maybe he needs to try playing with this person or that person. You know, they've already switched the coach. So I'm not sure. But, you know, as you bring up the 
Eastern Conference, Western Conference thing, that's, that's something that you kind of think of too. Like I know the West is, you know, harder, heavier, faster in certain ways, but going from a 115 point player to this, just because you switched conferences, like, I, I, I don't yeah. know. Uh, I'm with you on that. Okay, sticking with Alberta, um, we'll find out here in an hour and 45 minutes if anyone has claimed Jack Campbell, who was placed on waivers by the Edmonton Oilers yesterday. And I would have to think that this is like the the Vancouver game and probably even before it really, um, but somewhere along the way, the Edmonton Oilers had their in case of emergency break glass moments. And one of the things that, I was talking about yesterday, Haley, was traditionally in the NHL, and I guess with a flat salary cap, you throw tradition out the window, but traditionally before a general manager makes their mind up about a uh, a coach and his future with the team, the feeling was always, I owe this guy a trade. I owe this guy a shakeup to see if we can, you know, kickstart this team and and get them back on their winning ways. Um, And I don't know that you can make a trade that's going to shock the room right now this isn't a league that makes trades early this isn't really a league that makes trades early specifically for goaltenders so mm-hmm. maybe do you think this is the uh this is the ken holland i can't make a move right now best i can do is send one of the most popular guys to bakersfield to try to you know to to try to to try to shock this team like is it is this like in place of ken holland making a deal or do you think that they just need Jack Campbell to go down and try to find his game again. You know what? I can't make a trade to make our team better, but I can get you Calvin Picard. <laughs> well, he has like a 940 <laughs> save percentage in yeah. Bakersfield, if that means anything. In the anything. American <laughs> Hockey League, yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, you, I, I feel like you've got to just hope that he finds his game in the American League and can help the Oilers later in the season. Um, or he doesn't and you find a way to move on. Like, sure, that's something to shock the room, but I think it was also kind of a necessity. And I think, you know, the kind of interesting thing is Campbell technically and and did have the better save percentage between him and and Stuart Skinner. But uh, you had the tweet and it's, it's the the right thing. Like this team is a, is a mess because of what's happening in that. Like think of last season, um, how many times, Stuart Skinner bailed them out. Um, but that, that hasn't happened this year. They don't have the backup goalie who can yeah. come in and, and be the guy to make everything a little bit better for Jack Campbell um, and say, like, it's fine. We'll just put in we'll just put in Stuart Skinner. Everything's okay. Everybody loves Jack. Yeah. He's good in the room. He's our buddy. But at least we've got a backup. Like, they don't have anything right now. Um, and that's one of the, the situations where, like, if I'm Ken Holland and sure you can make this move, but like, what's the long-term solution here? If Jack Campbell doesn't come back from Bakersfield on the right track, um, (laughs) that's not like there's meaningful goalie upgrades available that are going to come cheap. It's not like the Oilers are flush with cap space. You're going to have to give up assets. If you want to move Campbell, you're going to have to give up even more assets. Like I, look at this Campbell situation and like even just on the surface it's bad because of how bad the goaltending's been and the fact that this was a team that was expected to be a Stanley Cup contender this year and is second last in the National Hockey League but then when you start like digging into it a little bit more it just kind of gets worse and worse because <laughs> I don't know what they're maybe this to. is like maybe this I'm is like the Oilers here, looking Jeff. for their I'm, get, I'm panicked <laughs> We all are. Listen, we're all reaching for like we're like the kid at the uh, we're like the kid at the zoo that's lost his or her balloon and like just say grabbing at air, and that yeah. your, your mom's gonna have to come in and say you know no it's it's gone and it's not it's Me not coming back. You, you've lost your balloon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know maybe maybe the the Oilers are looking for their 2019 Jordan Binnington moment here. By calling up Calvin yeah. Pickard and sending down Jack Campbell, like I, I don't know. Like you can either hope for your Jordan Bennington moment, or maybe go and try to make a trade for Jordan Bennington, or try to make a deal for one of the Bruins netminders. Although I don't think they're too enamored of the idea of, you know, uh, sending anyone anywhere. The things are going so swimmingly there. Like I, I, I just wonder what the long term here is. But we talk about doubling down, and the Flames have to do that with Jonathan Huberto. And I would have to think that. You know, the Edmonton Oilers, I mean, they have to play at an insane clip now to, to start talking about the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, right now, when you consider you have Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid in their prime, 
doesn't matter how bad it gets. You have to keep doubling down to try to get this thing going. And that's, Mm -hmm. I guess, one of the frustrating things here. Um, San Jose Sharks are on the horizon now for the Edmonton Oilers. Or hang on. Let me say this properly, Haley Salvin. The red hot San Jose (laughs) Sharks are next on tap after their beatdown of the Philadelphia Flyers uh, last night. This is after Mike Greer, general manager, went and blasted the team and talked about (laughs) things that he won't tolerate. The team responds with a 2-1 to victory on the Philadelphia Flyers' side. It's a tough loss to absorb. I think there are issues now with Morgan Frost, who was scratched again yesterday. It seems as if this thing is going to turn into a bigger thing probably sooner than later. Um, We'll see what happens there. But your thoughts on San Jose on November 7th picking up their first win of the season? They had to win eventually, right? I guess. I guess. Probably. I don't know. Um, The funniest thing about that win and the Mike Greer thing for me, Jeff. And like, yeah, this isn't super scientific and this isn't like great sports talk radio analysis, but I had a good laugh. (laughs) Like this is a GM reading the riot act (laughs) to the worst team in the NHL. And like, if I'm one of those guys in the room, I'm just like, what are you going to do? Trade me? (laughs) Like if I don't start playing better, are you going to, are you going to trade me out of San Jose? Fine. Do it. Like, Steve sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what I was laughing at. It's like, okay. Like, what but, leverage but, do you have? But, let, let, I guess he could demote let, someone. Let, let me add to that. Let, let me let me let me be a backup singer here for you on this one because I think it's a really good point. I mean, really, isn't Mike Greer scolding himself? The team he put together. Like, what did he expect? Like, we're quibbling over, like, okay, well, you were designed to be bad, but not this bad. Right. Sure, right. we wanted the you to be bad. Like, we're looking for, you know. Crafted. To not be good is not good, and I am frustrated with the process. Okay. I don't know. You've understood the assignment too well, San Jose. What are you doing here? We wanted you to be bad, just not this bad. It's not great. I feel like there's been a lot of discourse around how bad they've been and how it's like bad for hockey and they need to do something. I'm like, let's not overthink this. Like, it's fine. The one thing I think yeah. is the widened uh, hurdle. Want to stay there? Nope, not hurdle. Who's know. the other one? Who just resigned there? Yeah, Tomas Hurdle. Yeah, it was yeah, Hurdle. Tomas Hurdle signed the signed yeah, the long term extension. Yeah, why seven. didn't he? I wrote all those columns about why he's perfect for the Flames, and then you just resigned an eight year deal. You must really like yeah the city. There were there were Rangers Rangers writers uh, writing the same thing about how he's perfect for the New York Rangers as well. There was a lot of come to our market, Tomas Hurdle, and then he just took a big money deal with San Jose. But that's the thing. Like I think that San Jose, whether it was the owner or whether it was Tomas Hurdle, uh, were probably sold on the idea of if this is going to be a bunny hop, we're not going to take like a huge leap backwards, maybe a small hop backwards yeah. but then we're going to lunge forward here because we're going to go for it i don't think the owner signed up for yeah. this and i definitely don't think the tomash hurdle signed up for this i think this has kind of caught everybody by surprise i don't know why but it seems to have caught everybody by surprise in san jose um let me ask you about the rivalry series you are in arizona right now canada usa tonight mullet arena uh saturday crypto.com it's the uh the the beginning of this uh of this wonderful rivalry and this is like I'm, I'm looking to frame this because we all know that the uh, the league is on the horizon, the PWHL and training camps are on the horizon. Is this the uh, is this the last hurrah before all these teammates get to hate each other in a in a regular league? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was uh, kind of standing in the hallway talking to one of the American players yesterday, and one of the Canadians walked by to like go to their skate and. Uh, the American was like, oh, wait, wait, like, congratulations. Like, you know, their um, their partner just, like, had a baby. And, it like, they started, they hugged and were, like, yeah. chatting. And one of the, like, Team USA staff that was chatting with us, she's like, this is exactly why. Like, this new league is good. They're all going to be friends now. Like, this isn't fun. <laughs> and I think that's going to be, like, one of the most interesting dynamics is, like, how these players are going to, come together on their pro teams, but then step out on the ice and and continue this rivalry. And, you know, players have always said to me, like, it doesn't really matter 
um, like who I know, I, like I, I still hate them and want to beat them once I put on the Team USA jersey or the Team Canada jersey. And we also have to remember that these players have played together since college, right? Like there were Canadians on yep. the Cornell roster with Americans and um, Sarah Nurse and Abby Rock on the same yeah. team at Wisconsin, things like that. So it's not entirely new. The thing I am most interested about is how the Canadian teammates are going to deal with playing against each other in this new pro league and how the Americans are going to deal with being like rivals with their own teammates. Like that's the dynamic to me that I'm, I can't wait to dive in on is like, what's like, or what's going to happen when Brienne Jenner and Mary Philippe Poulin have to battle against each other as the number one centers on their teams. And then like be on the same line at Canada camp, you know, yeah. two weeks later. Like that, I think that dynamic is going to be really fun, but I think this rivalry series, like, I don't think anybody needs to worry about uh, the heat dying off of this because these two teams no. still really want to beat each other every time they, they have to play against each other. So I think this is going to be fun. It's going to be – sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, no, finish up, finish up. No, I just think it's going to be – you know, we haven't seen a lot of these players play in a while. It's been since Women's World Championships. There's some new young faces injected into both rosters. Um, Layla Edwards is, uh, she's only 19 years old. She's going to be on the, on this American roster. And, and by the way, when she makes her debut, um, she is going to be the first black woman to play for team USA at the senior women's national team level, um, which is going to be a huge awesome. barrier to break for her. And not only that, like this player is like unbelievable. This is the kind of player who like mm. truly slows the game down, has great hands. She is six foot one. And then you put her on skates and like usually you're used to seeing Hillary Knight be a head taller than everyone. Like Layla Edwards is bigger <laughs> than Hillary Knight, but she's not just your typical power forward. Like she's got the speed, the finesse, the hands, the motor, the computer. Um, so I think there's just a ton of exciting players that are going to be up on these rosters that are going to make these games even more exciting. Um, and then they're going to go back to college and then we have to wait a few more years to see them at the pro level. So that's what makes <laughs> these uh, series like fun for me is you get to see yeah. the players in college that we might not see all the time in Canada. Cause you can't just like flick on a women's college hockey game on a Saturday or whatever. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a haunt. And for Canada, uh, no Anne Renee Debien. I'm guessing Emirates Mashmeyer. I don't know, but I'm guessing she gets to start tonight. And Canada's got a couple of new defenders they're breaking yeah. in as well. So it's some new yeah, faces Sophie for Team Jake's Canada as well, be really Haley. Fun. Yeah, Sophie Jakes just had an unbelievable um, finish to her college career. She won the Patty Kazmaier Trophy this season, um, had one of the best offensive produc production-wise seasons of, of a defender in college since, ooh, I want to say since Angela Ruggiero, who... <laughs> you know, is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So um, Sophie Jakes is going to be a really exciting player to watch on Canada. I, I feel like we're going to see Emron Smashmeyer start, but I would also be really interested to see if we get to, if we get a look at Kristen Campbell. She's kind of been the number three for the last several years, but she, this mm -hmm. is a player who had a really decorated career at Wisconsin. I believe she even broke a couple of Anne Renee Debian's records or at least got close to them. Um, and she didn't, you know, get scored on once um, en route to a national championship a few years ago. So she's someone who's going to be exciting, too. I hope we get a good look at Kristen Campbell. Very much looking forward to this tonight at the Mullet Arena, Saturday at Crypto.com. Haley, you're the best. Thanks, as always. Enjoy uh, your hikes. I hope you get to make it out to Sedona. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you're going to enjoy tonight's matchup, Canada versus USA, game one of the rivalry series. Thanks for being in the bestie spot today. Thanks. I appreciate it. Love the bestie spot. There she is, the great Haley Salvian from uh, from Sportsnet, hockey commentator, and from The Athletic as well. She's in Arizona for the Rivalry Series. Game one is tonight. Coming up on the program, top of the hour, Greg Wyshynski stops by for MVSW Redux. Mike Vernon is going to stop by as well. I got a lot to talk to Mike Vernon about, not just his career, um, but I was told that no one can go line for line and the movie Slapshot, better than Mike Vernon. We'll see if that's true. Nonetheless, it's a big week for Mike Vernon. Uh, we'll talk to Greg Wyshynski in hour two, joining me next to go over everything, either Campbell, everything Holland, 
um, uh, everything uh, Stuart Skinner, everything Connor McDavid. You know where I'm going here. Mark Spector from Sportsnet, uh, hockey commentator for the Edmonton Oilers, stops by. What's next for the Oilers now that they have waived Jack Campbell? Specs next. America's show continues across the Sportsnet radio network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and your favorite podcast platform. Back in a moment. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I want to draw your attention to something here as well. We're just having a conversation a couple of seconds ago with Haley about uh, Jonathan Huberto and how do you fix uh, the great, and uh, and I mean great, uh, Vanessa Keswer at sportsnet.ca has a very thorough breakdown on what's gone wrong and how do you fix? Uh, go check that out at sportsnet.ca. Speaking of our website, uh, one of our other fine writers, uh, longtime coverer of the Edmonton Oilers, someone that's documented at all, and I don't think it was a head-scratcher yesterday for Mark Spector when um, Jack Hamill got placed on waivers, but it still went, sent shockwaves all through the NHL. Mark Spector joins me now. Speck, how are you? Oh, busy. How about you, Jeff? oh just doing a lot of thinking see i sort of exist in this privileged position like i don't have to be in the the trenches of verdun like you do with with all of this you know as we're you know uh remembrance day is on the horizon you know you're right in the middle of all of this like forest all around and right in the uh the emotional nerve center of uh of hockey right now and that is edmonton um Mm. how first of all how was this received in edmonton yesterday when jack campbell was placed on waivers um, first of all, I, mean, I will correct you a little bit. I'm in Vancouver because the team is in Vancouver. Uh, so I'm looking out over English Bay Fair. as we speak, and there's a practice at UBC Arena today at 11 o'clock. However, the news did reverberate, of course, through my town uh, extensively. And, I mean, I think everybody saw something coming, and, and this is the most obvious move. Everyone in that city has probably seen that Jack Campbell's game uh, isn't coming back. You know, it's not coming back. So they know that Jeff's, uh, sorry, Jessica Stewart Skinner is is just a sophomore goalie in the NHL. He was a Calder Trophy candidate mm-hmm. last year. You're not giving up on him. Uh, and the feeling among the, the fans, I believe, and certainly the team is, if you could find a goalie that could just make Stewart Skinner feel like the whole load isn't on his shoulders, he'll probably play better too, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, did the answer just come up from Bakersfield? Is this their 2019 Jordan Bennington Hail Mary pass? <laughs> wouldn't it be a great story? I mean, wouldn't it be <laughs> a great story if the answer was a kid out of, where is he from? Is he not a Nova Scotian? I know he's a Maritimer. Uh, uh, a kid named Calvin let me, Pickard. Let me double check exactly. Look him up. Calvin Pickard. Yeah, who hasn't played. He played in the 16-17 season. He played 50 games for Colorado, and he's barely played in the NHL since. And if he becomes Sorry, the answer Winnipeg, here, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Winnipeg, Manitoba. Winnipeg, Manitoba. Really? I thought he was a Maritimer. Yes. I'm going to look deeper into that one. Uh, hey, I'll ask the kid when I run into him next, right. uh, next couple of days. But anyhow, the point is he's he's become a journeyman. He's... He's in many ways. Well, hold on a second here. Hold yeah. on a second here. We have a discrepancy because on Wiki, it's got him as Moncton, and yeah. at yeah. Cap Friendly, they list him as Winnipeg. Go to Hockey DB. They can break the break the tie at Hockey DB. And break I'm going to tell you, it's coming DB? out of Moncton, right. Nova Scotia. Right. And he had a brother who also played goal named Chad Pickard. Moncton. Uh, Pick. Yeah, the Pickard family of uh, Moncton, Nova Scotia, has produced a couple of pretty good goalies out from out there. Um, yeah. I can't tell you, Jeff, if they if their parents or older siblings grew up drinking at a Moncton bar named Smooth Hermans or not. But if they didn't, they should have. <laughs> Smooth Hermans? What's that? Smooth Hermans. That was the hockey bar in Moncton back when the Oilers ran the Cape Breton Oilers out of there. Oh, wow. 
Or no, wait, sorry. Oh, wow, Sydney. that's a... That was Sydney. Damn, it was Sydney, Nova Scotia, not Moncton. Sydney. <laughs> well, this is great. Like, we're having a hard... Well, I'm having a hard time trying to locate where goaltenders are born. We're misplacing where the American Hockey League franchise used to be. Yeah, <laughs> this is, yeah. This, uh, this conversation's off to a, a spectacular debut. <laughs> um, okay, so, I mean, I think all the... The, the question now becomes is, is not... Okay, how bad can it get? Because it's already bad. Um, can get worse. And you know, as as many people, and can it get any worse? I mean, uh, I've always believed that things can always get worse. All you can do is either a person or a team is decide to stop digging. And I look at this Oilers team, and I say, there's too much goodness on this team for this to continue for much longer. But Speck, I've been saying that for a while. And the, the one thing that I wonder about with, you know, calling up Pickard and, and waving Jack Campbell, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek 2019 Jordan Bennington, St. Louis Blues. I, uh, that's kind of the obvious one here. But the one that I keep coming back to is, and, you know, you'll remember this because once upon a time, this is how the NHL existed. Before you did anything with the coach, the GM always was considered to have owed the coach a trade before you make a move on the coach. Given mm-hmm. how hard it is to make a deal and everyone's cap situation, etc., is this the equivalent of making a trade? Do you think to try to jolt the team when most popular players is packing his bags? Jeez. I, you know, there's two things here, and I want to dispense with the first one. The popular player thing, that's gotten old. Everyone knows Jack Campbell's a great guy. An old scout once told me the minor leagues are filled with great guys. You know what? I'd rather have a goalie that nobody liked that stopped pucks than a great guy. So let's get that out of the way right now. I would say to you that, I'm going to ask you, I'm the GM and you're the coach, Jeff. I'm going to walk into your office mm-hmm. and I'm going to say, Jeff, I gave you Jack Campbell who can't play anymore and I'm calling up a guy who hasn't played in the league since 16, 17 at any regular basis and I'm going to fire you because you've been losing games. Oh, and the other goalie's a sophomore having a sophomore slump. Can I go into your office and yeah. fire you having given you that, much, that amount of goaltending? Do you think that's right? Uh, I don't, but the thing that I've been, the, the drum that I've been banging for a long time here and, and, and elsewhere is there is no position more tightly linked with the coach than the goaltender. You and the Jack Adams, guess what? Your goalie's probably up for the Vesna. Yeah. You're fired, no. well, your goaltender probably has a sub-900 save percentage. And the frustrating <laughs> thing about all of it, I mean, yeah. at least a coach... at least a coach has his hands on the forwards, can do something with the blue line, what does a head coach have to do with the goaltenders? Like, there's nothing that there's nothing that that Woodcroft can do with the goalies. Like, he must feel completely powerless here, no matter what uh, Woodcroft does. And it's like, okay, so how do we beat? You know, how do we how do how do we get as as good as you know Boston was last year in the regular season? How do we do something along the levels of what the Vegas Golden Knights did last year? Like, these are the nature of the conversations in the off season. So the defensive scheme is is juggled a little bit. The team's playing a little a different way. It all gets undone when the goalies are hard to hit. And make no mistake about it, and you know this, all season long, Edmonton's goalies have been hard to hit. And it's got to be endlessly frustrating for the coach because he can do two things, nothing and like it. Well, in this case, not like it. Yeah, and and it it strikes to the soul of a team, you know? It, it, you know, the other night in Vancouver, Rota's out shoot Vancouver 19-2, to they're up one nothing. Demko stopped. Yep two breakaways and about four other grade A's. And okay, so it's one nothing. We're we're not, it's not going in the way we like, but we are leading and we're beating the heck out of the other team and I'm sitting on the bench and I'm saying, "Hey, come on guys. Let's you know, we got something here. We've got a foothold. We're having a good start. We're having a good game. Let's make this go our way." And then 5 minutes later you look up on the scoreboard, the shots are 19 to 4 and you're losing 2-1. And you go, "Oh. Oh." And times that by about six times this season when a good start was nullified by a soft goal. And it just it yep. absolutely beats the team to death. I don't care who your players are. That's what's going on here now. It's, it's just beating this team's soul into submission. Yeah, there's a, there's a cascading effect when you have either excellent goaltending or awful goaltending. There's a confidence that comes with, you look at how Vancouver plays, the best example spec. 
You look at how Vancouver plays right now. Look how much better um, the blue line. I mean, we all know about oh, yeah. Hughes, but like everybody on that blue line looks so much better with Thatcher Demko. How much can the <laughs> even if it's just like cheat a little bit when the puck turns over, or even before the puck turns over in your own zone, cheat a little bit into the neutral zone to try to get yeah. to try to get a jump. Like everybody plays better when your goalie is excellent, and the opposite when they're horrible. Right. Jeff, I've been here for two days in Vancouver doing radio hits with all the Vancouver stations. The Canucks gave up 19 shots in the opening nine or ten yep. minutes of that game the other night. No one in town's talking about that. Right? It's not a topic that yeah. we gave up 19 shots on goal in the first ten minutes. <laughs> no one's talking about that because Demko stopped 18 yeah. of them. So it's a it's a passing memory, right? If it was four nothing. They, you, you know Vancouver. This is a tough market. They'd be pounding on that team's defensive yeah. prowess. So that's that embodies what a, a solid bit of goaltending can do for a team. So here, here's here's part of the conversation as well. Um, I always assume, perhaps wrongfully, that if you're on the ice, you're healthy. Now, I know towards the end of the season, everybody's playing hurt. I know in the playoffs, yeah. certainly everybody's playing hurt. But I assume health if you're on the ice. But this is not the Connor McDavid that I'm used to. This is not the Matthias Ekholm that yeah. I'm used to as well. When you yeah. see these two players specifically, do you wonder, as I do, and I think many others do, that are they okay? Are they playing dinged up? Is there something physically wrong with both or one of them? Well, if you scroll over to uh, sportsnet.ca, I got a column that just went up about Connor McDavid playing at about 70% right now. Uh, I asked him point blank, and he being the prototypical hockey captain, uh, his answer was, I'm okay to play right now. I'm healthy enough to play. And he's not copping to an injury. He's not going to say, oh, yeah, I'm really hurt. He's not saying any of that stuff. I'm here to tell you he's probably about 70%. And if you can find a time in Matthias Ekholm, the last, you know, seven or eight years of his career, where he lost more physical battles in front of his net yeah. than he has in the first 11 games this year, uh, I would be surprised. He's, he's absolutely been a shadow of the player physically that he was in Edmonton last year. He missed training camp with a hip injury. Mm-hmm. He came back. Uh, he had a slow start. And I would say to you that, yes, Matthias Hekholm is also hurt, and that's the quiet one. You know, we talk about defensive prowess. You talk about all the times that Oilers have lost battles and position in front of their goal and, and the failure to box out here. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly scored two on Darnell Nurse the other night, yeah. won two physical battles, put two pucks in Edmonton's net, and I think Nashville won by two with an empty netter, you know. So, yes, mm-hmm. those injuries hurt, and that area of the ice – has been a very painful one for the Edmonton Oilers. How is this organization looking at tomorrow? The game against the, and I love phrasing it this way, suddenly hot San Jose Sharks. They're on a one-game rip. They tore apart the Philadelphia Flyers yesterday, and here we go. Uh, Mike Greer attached the rocket to their back on Monday with a tongue lashing, and, uh, and the San Jose Sharks are looking upward in the division. Uh, how is Edmondson looking at Thursday's game here? Um, I would the fan base with much trepidation because you know it's just the way the year's been going. It's exactly what you get. You're yeah. going to get Mackenzie Blackwood standing on his head, and the Oilers are going to find themselves in 32nd place. I'm here to tell you the dressing room isn't looking at it that way. You know, this is a, still a team that's they've played five rounds of playoffs the last two years. They've won 100 games. The guys in that dressing room mm-hmm. are are still have a confidence that they they're good players and they have a good team. They're not looking at it the way you and I are right now. That oh my goodness, you lose to San Jose, what's going to happen next? So, uh, you know, I think there's still there. I know that there's still a confidence among the guys that matter, uh, but they need some goaltending. And they need a coach, I think, who can who can find some confidence and who can hold some people accountable. You know, an underlying theme out here, Jeff. Uh, you know, well, the season began with Lindy Ruff uh, benching. I think it was um, was it it was uh, Timo Meyer and the defense. Was it Siegenthaler? Yep. Uh, then we went. Yeah. 
Yes, then we went to Vancouver where Rick Tockett sat JT Miller down for half a period. I don't think Vancouver's lost since. And we go last night to Calgary where Huberdeau had a front row seat for the third period. Here in Edmonton, they've got a young defenseman named Evan Bouchard who's been uh, derelict defensively this year and cost his team numerous important goals in the middle of hockey games with poor pinches and lack of hustle and uh, overall poor defensive play. And the coach has not had him miss a shift. So there is an accountability issue here, and it's brewing in Edmonton. Some guys are going to have to mm. answer to the poor play. No one's taken a responsibility for what's happened here. It's fallen all on the goalies. And I'm here to tell you, uh, it's got to change around here if this coach is going to survive. Interesting times. Um, let me settle a bet here. We're talking about settling bets. Um, settle a bet <laughs> okay. here. Elliot and I got into this on the podcast. Do you think that Calgary would do a deal with Edmonton? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. It's a brave new world, buddy. Sure. What's the trade? You think, you think, you think that Craig Conroy would throw a lifeline to the Oilers for either one of the goaltenders or maybe one of or two of the impending free agent defensemen to help out Edmonton here? Once Not, more, like maybe I'm just like way too old school about this. Like maybe yeah. I'm just thinking way too old school and like, oh, how does Conroy survive if he makes this deal and the Oilers win the cup? Like, not a chance. Maybe I'm just like trapped in a different era in my head, spec. But do you think <laughs> that Calgary would make a deal with Edmondson? Uh, I'll say this to you. There's a caveat on this. Yes, I think they would. But it has to be a situation where Calgary is is not going to make the playoffs. As long as they're battling each other for a potential playoff spot, which they are right now, as ridiculous as that may sound, um, yeah. as long as they're close to each other in the standings, no chance. But if, you know, a lot of people might have predicted this year that the Oilers were going to sail towards the playoffs and Calgary was going to struggle, some people would have said that. I had Calgary as a playoff team. Um, if Calgary was out and Edmonton was coming in, you bet that I believe Conroy and Holland could make a deal, yes. But that's not happening this week, pal. Um, what's that? I say that's not happening this week, pal. <laughs> no, Edmonton's no, like no, three it's points not. behind I, I, the Flames or something, aren't they? I, uh, I, I get with well, Edmonton's like, listen, if San Jose wins on Thursday, all of a sudden they leapfrog over the Edmonton Oilers here and then things get really ugly um, with Edmonton. Um, listen, always good. Um, check Mark's latest workout at sportsthead.ca. Always a pleasure. Safe travels. Uh, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks as always. All right. Thanks, Jeff. There he is. Uh, Mark Spector from sportsnet.ca uh, in Vancouver. Oilers practicing there. And then it is a game Thursday against... The suddenly red-hot San Jose Sharks. Break up the Sharks. They beat the Flyers. By the way, it does feel like that Morgan Frost situation. I don't know. Would, is blow up too big of an expression to use for Frost? Scratched again? Time now for Line Change. Presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Bet local. Matt Marchese is aboard. What are you thinking on this one, Maddie? What game? Uh, it's the Battle of Ontario. It's the Senators at the Maple Leafs. Puck line is minus one and a half Toronto. The Senators are one in six in their last seven meetings in Toronto. One in six are the Senators in the last seven meetings overall. And the favorite is six and one in the last seven meetings. This one's huge. Like, make no mistake about it. Like, we all saw what happened with the Ottawa Senators uh, in that game on Saturday and the uh, the, the chance of fire DJ uh, and the Brady Kachuk press conference afterwards where he stood up for his coach and played both sword and shield at the same time, not just protecting his head coach, but also sparring with the fans a little bit, walking up to that line of insulting the fans, getting his message across, and then pulling back quickly. I like, guess kind of a really brilliant move here. He's a he's a fine captain there. And for the Toronto Maple Leafs, like, I, I think that we're going to have to, if you're a Maple Leafs fan, I think that you're going to have to get used to this idea of seeing some clunkers along the way because that's just how this team is comprised right now until Brad Treliving can do something specifically with that blue line. You know, I was having a conversation with someone this morning about the net minding, and I can't help but thinking, you know, you look at that cutaway shot to Samsonov after getting pulled against Tampa and that stare, you wonder if it's a couple of things. One, pretty upset at his own performance, but you're wondering if in Samsonov's head, he's saying to himself, I just lost the starter's job. 
Toronto, Ottawa, Battle of Ontario later tonight. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Greg Wyshynski, with a shiny new contract in his hip pocket from ESPN, joins me next. Hour two on the horizon across the Sportsnet radio network. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, I, I often think of the great quote by NHL coach Elaine Vigneault, who once said something along the lines of, hockey is simple. It goes like this. If your goaltender is better than my goaltender, you win. But if my goaltender is better than your, goal t- your goaltender, I win. Uh, with that, let's bring aboard Mike Vernon, who goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, an inductee of the class of 2003, along with other goaltenders, Henrik Lundqvist, and, uh, of course, Tom Barrasso as well. Mike, first of all, congratulations. Thanks so much for, for hopping aboard. I know it's a very busy time for you. <laughs> Not a problem. I'm just trying to get ready for uh, just get ready for the trip to Toronto. <laughs> well, it, it's got to be a lot of fun. And I, w- I would imagine that, you know, after you know, getting the phone call and congratulations, so many thoughts go through your mind, and it's a time for reflection uh, on your own career. But I, I want to ask you about goaltenders specifically. It seemed as if this was the, the first year that the Hall of Fame kind of said, you know what, we've really been negligent, and we have really uh, haven't done proper service to goaltenders. There's a lot of goaltenders that belong here at Young and Front Street, uh, and we're going to start doing something about it right now. Uh, three goaltenders going in. Do, do you feel that goalies have always been historically overlooked by the Hall of Fame? Well, I'm not going to come out and say that, but what I will say is uh, we we all know how important the goaltender is to a team and uh, to have a, a playoff run and make a run for the Stanley Cup. Uh, you definitely need the goaltending uh, to do that. So, um, you know, Goaltending is, you know, it's like a quarterback in football. They're a very crucial part of the totally part of the team, and uh, it's a very important part. But uh, you know, we're we are fortunate this year. It looks like the year of the goaltender, and three of us are going in there, and uh, we 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 are greatly honored by that, and uh, we appreciate that. Two Stanley Cups, uh, Consmite Trophy, over 300 wins. Uh, I'm always curious, you know, who are the influences? Who are the ones you looked up to? Like, who were your, who are your guys? Like, a young Mike Vernon here. Who did you admire around the league? Well, you admired. I admired all goaltenders, really. And uh, you know, growing up as a young kid, Rogatine Vashon, uh, Jerry Cheevers. You know, the list goes on. I always watch the goaltenders, but, uh, you know, growing up, I played against Kelly Rudy, Graham Fuhrer, and some great goaltenders in the in the junior ranks and, and growing up. And uh, uh, even a guy by the name of Bob Sinkler, who lives in Toronto, he's not a goalie, he's not uh, a celebrity from that standpoint, but uh, he was a big influence uh, on me when I was a kid growing up. And, uh he was a little older than me, but he used to hand me down his the hand me down gold pads and equipment and things like that. And uh, you know, he he was uh, I really kind of idolized him. I watched him. My dad used to coach him, so I was always at the games and watching the goaltenders. But you know, there's a lot of guys. Uh, you know, my goaltender coach uh, nine years here in Calgary, uh, Glenn Hall. Um, you know, it's it, the one thing that sticks out. Glenn never came on the ice once with me. So he took Hmm. notes and we talked about the game of hockey and what I could do or what he thought I could do or what I was thinking at that particular time. And, and just uh, making sure that uh, my head was in the right space to be a goaltender and uh, goaltending's a lot of that. Uh, I, of course, you've got to be technically good. You've got to be a good athlete and things like that. But you have to have the right mindset. And Guys like Glenn help me along that way. 
Hmm. You know, you, you mentioned Kelly Rudy's name there a couple of seconds ago, and listen, Kelly is is one of my favorite, not just players but people, and I think a lot of people feel the same way uh, about Kelly Rudy. I don't think I'm unique there by by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you were with Kelly in San Jose. What was that tandem like for you? Do you have a, a couple of words about Kelly Rudy here? <laughs> well, one, it was great. <laughs> Because we were, uh, well, you know, I, we played against each other in junior and obviously I'm pro a little bit and things yeah. like that. And I didn't know him extremely well. Uh, I know he had a great run in L.A. And, and in Long Island and things like that. So I was very well versed on what he could do and uh, things like that. But the, it, it, the friendship that we we had a great friendship there, we bonded together. I tried to convince him to stay on one more year, but he said, Mike, I'm done. I said, come on, buddy, you can do it one more year, you and I. And he just said, no, I'm finished. And uh, it was too bad for me because he was, he was, a, he was a good man, and we, we did a lot of dinners together. We, uh, our families kind of hung out um, on the road. We'd go out for dinner the night before a game and things like that. And, and just chat, and he was he was just a good person all around. Uh, he's a great human being, and uh, I was yeah. I was blessed to have him as a, a partner for that year in uh, San Jose. Amen to all of that. Um, One thing that I've, Mike, I've always wanted to ask you this, but in some ways I've kind of been afraid not to get the answer that I want. So I'm going to cross my fingers and... and, and... It's not face-to-face. Okay, so here, okay. So so, uh, I've always wanted this answer to be yes. So I was told years ago um, that the one person in the NHL who could do and who could recite the movie Slapshot line for line was Mike Vernon. (laughs) Now we've all watched it, whether it's on hockey buses and parties and we all love it and watch that movie over and over again. Is it true that maybe, I don't even know if it's true anymore, but at a certain time you could do from the opening scene of Denis Lemieux and Jim Carr right to the very end of the celebration that you could do the movie line for line. Is that true, Mike Vernon? Please say yes. My, my, my allergies to the fence. <laughs> no, I, I, yes. You know, being a hockey guy and all the bus trips and things along the line, we always threw slap shot in just for, yeah, shits and giggles type thing, but uh, not yeah. line for line. But I, I know a few of them anyway. <laughs> so I, I read it. It's interesting. So okay, that's that's good enough. Like that, that's good enough for me. I, I, I can be settled with that. Um, but I read an interview with Yvonne Barrett, and I've hosted a number of different events and with various members uh, of, of the old movie. And I struck up a friendship with uh, with Yvonne Barrett, and a long time ago he, we, we were talking about you. And he mentioned that he always wanted to meet you um, because of oh, your, wow. your love of the movie. Uh, he, for our listeners that don't know, he played the character of Denis Lemieux, the French-Canadian goaltender. Did you yeah. ever get a chance to meet Yvonne Barrette? No, I did not. That's unbelievable. This is the first I've heard of this. Oh really? Okay, you know what? Then off air, I'm gonna I'm gonna hook the two of you up because he's he said like yeah, I'd love to meet uh, I'd love to meet Mike Vernon. Um, <laughs> that'll be my gift to you for going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. That let would let be me awesome. ask you about the career. And no problem, <laughs> I can uh, I can make that happen. Let me um let me ask you about the career. Whether it's the cups, whether it's the consmice, sometimes those are the the big moments. But when you look back at the career, as as marvelous as those achievements were, sometimes it's small things. It's an interaction. It's someone that we may not know about. Yeah. It's an act of kindness. It's something else that stands out in your mind. Maybe it's an interaction with someone that nobody else would know about. Is there something outside of the big awards and big achievements that comes to your mind, Mike, when you look back at your career? Well, I, I think it comes down to, you know, your teammates and the friendships you've made along the way. And uh, right from, you know, even when I was a kid growing up playing hockey and all the kids, that, uh, you know, the people that I played with and the teammates and, and the friendships. And I think the most important thing is, you know, I le- left this game and I still have those friendships. And that, I think, means the world to me because these people all helped we all pulled the rope together and we made it possible and Mm. uh it was a great 
lifestyle. It was a great uh, career, and uh, I just have nothing but uh, praise for my teammates uh, along the way. When you look at goaltending now, what jumps out at you? Other than they're all huge, but what, what jumps <laughs> out at you They're six, now, six, six, eight. <laughs> the light <laughs> equipment. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing how the game has evolved, and uh, I think everybody would agree that goaltending was the biggest change. And uh, from the equipment mm-hmm. to the size of the goaltender now, and things like that, it, it starts to... Uh, you know, it's a it's a big difference. Uh, I watched Saros play last night. He's five eleven, and you know he towers over me. I was I'm only five seven, and I, they said I was uh, I was uh, five nine in the program, but really I was only five seven. So uh, the goalie position has changed dramatically, and uh, these guys are very for the size of them and everything like that. They're very acrobatic. They could they can move. Mm-hmm. And things like that, and the games uh, the games changed a lot. It's a lot quicker now. There's not as much interference and hooking and grabbing and slashing and all that uh, dirty stuff we used to probably do in the back in the day. But uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's a lot quicker game, and uh, you know, split second decisions. I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned all like the hooking and slashing and grabbing and like I've gone back and and watched, um, uh, I mean, I said I was, I was a teenager watching it live and I just thought, okay, well, that's hockey. And now I look at hockey now and go back and watch games from your era and I think to myself, how did half the league not end up in prison? Like I, I watched some of these games, Mike, and I say to myself, well, holy, it's like well, remember. just the neutral zone. Like... <laughs> Well, the the thing is that there was only one referee on the ice. So when that referee turned his head, there was usually a a poke yeah. or a hit or a punch to you know punch or something a slash or something dirty happened. So they said, mm-hmm. well, we got to stop some of this stuff. So we need two referees, and so it started to yeah. slowly come out of the game. And uh, you know it's. Uh, in, in playoffs, it, it just it, it gets tougher, and uh, sometimes it's you know the tough the tough will survive and uh, and win because it is a battle to get to the to the Stanley Cup and yeah. uh, to win. And there's a lot of wounds and things like that that you got to play through and uh, try to be better and just fight your way through it all and uh, bite your tongue sometimes because uh, you got to be disciplined too. Yeah. Um, let, let, let me close on this. And, and again, congratulations. Um, do you already have this speech done? Like, it is, is, is your speech in your jacket pocket already? Uh, yeah, the speech is done. Um, the first iteration, I think it was over 18 minutes. And then they told me I had to get it down to five. <laughs> so I've had to put a 20-year a career basically into five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you, you probably it'll, could have done more. I mean, your career was spectacular. Yeah, It will be short and sweet, yeah. just like my career. <laughs> uh, your short was, was spectacular and a lot of successes uh, along the ways and some great moments and some great highlights uh, that we'll always play uh, and that we'll either watch on television, online, or in our minds when we think back to the great career of yours. Mike, congratulations again. Looks good on you and your fellow goaltenders that are going in. Uh, the respect due to the goaltenders. Uh, and I'll, I'll work to get you in touch with Yvonne Barrett as soon as the program is over here today. Thanks so much for stopping by, and uh, best of luck going into the Hall of Fame. Great. Thank you very much. There he is, Mike Vernon, along with Henrik Lundqvist and Tom Barrasso, part of the, uh, the latest uh, class going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Matt Marchese, I haven't talked to you in like over an hour here. That's, I'm sure you're okay with that. It's been nice, as I said, she was my point. Um, Mike wasn't going to go there, but finally the Hall of Fame is noticing that goaltenders are really important. Like, just, there's two areas that I've always felt the Hall of Fame kind of fell down. And in one area, it's still falling down. Um, one is goaltenders. Two is defensive defensemen. Mm-hmm. The defensive defenseman is not represented in the Hall of Fame really at all. There are a few, but really the defensive defenseman doesn't get any accolades or any, any really, even a, a whisper, I, I don't think, uh, from the Hockey Hall of Fame. But the goalies are now 
being recognized more so than ever. So it's Vernon, it's Lundquist, it's Barrasso. Uh, they all finally get the nod. We all knew Hank was going in right away. Um, do you have a quick thought on on the hall and, and which types of players you'd like to see go in? Like I, I like the historical oversight, and I still cross my fingers that one day Lauren Shabbat uh, is going to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. But as one of the voting members told me, yeah, Jeff, that sounds great, but no one on our voting class here has ever seen Lauren Shabbat play. So it kind of makes things a little bit difficult, but the historical oversight I think is an important one uh, for the Hall. Do you have a thought on all of that, Maddie? Yeah, I... I mean, the defensive defenseman one is absolutely one that should be talked about. The goalies, the goalies is the interesting one Adam because, <laughs> excuse me, yeah, Adam Foot definitely in that conversation. I mean, well, Kevin Lowe is in, so that's that that at least helps the conversation. Yep, that's good. Um, but the goalie yeah. thing is is interesting to me because it's the most important position in the game, and you talked about that. And there have been guys True. that made that may not have the individual success, but they were. Very good goalies to great goalies for a long stretch of time, and they were very important to their teams. And yet, you know, those guys aren't getting in. I hope that this opens up the conversation for a guy like Curtis Joseph, for example, who you could make the argument for a three- or four-year stretch was the best goaltender in the NHL. Again, you can make that argument. So I think that that it's, uh, it's great that they're getting in. Um, because, and again, I think, you know, part of the problem is Jeff, it's the position that the majority of the NHL, whether it be general managers, coaches, presidents, all that people on the voting committee, it's a position they don't understand. And I think that's part of the problem. That was always Brian. Brian Burke brought up a great point because um, when you look at the Vesna Trophy, that's voted on by the general managers, and Brian Burke would always say, "Why do the GMs vote on the goalie of the year? That's the position we mess up the most." Yeah. Why do we let general managers vote on on this thing? Uh, look, if you're watching on 360, over my shoulder, Joe Malash, you put him on that Montreal Canadiens team in the 70s, and guess what? He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Instead, he played on the Seals. And the Barons. And a really bad North Stars team, too. Uh, thanks to Haley Salvi and Mark Spector, Greg Wyshynski and Mike Vernon. Uh, thanks for supervising producer Matt Marchese, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, and Jen Rolnick. I'm off for a couple of days to Lake Placid. Maddie, you'll like that one. Uh, kids hockey tournament. I've never been to Lake Placid. I'm maybe more excited than my kid is. Uh, I'll be back on Monday, but Matt Marchese in this spot tomorrow and Friday. Thanks so much for listening and watching. I'll be back Monday. Maddie in for me tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.